I did want to mention real quick before we get started on a serious note. Uh, you know, one week ago today we lost one of our students here on campus, and so uh, I just wanted to say that I am praying with all my heart for that situation. And uh, it's really interesting. Like last week, I was on campus uh, working on this sermon, and which I love doing now that I'm, I work here all the time. <laughs> And, and I was sitting there, and the only place to sit when I walked into the Barnes & Noble uh, Starbucks there was uh, right against this corner where it was like this one open spot and like seven uh, Muslim young ladies that go to IUPUI right there. And I sat down right next to them, and you want to talk about the sweetest, most, they were having the best time, I don't even know what they were talking about, they were having so much fun, and I was just enjoying that. And I think God, what he was trying to say is that how much he loves every single person on campus, amen? Every single person on campus matters to God, even though there are you know, 29,800 or so students on campus. He loves every single student on campus, and he doesn't want one student to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And so I'm just praying that God would just uh, bring healing. Uh, a lot of unanswered questions, of course, here on earth that we can't answer. And so... Let me pray. Let me pray for that situation right now. God, I pray that you would bring um, comfort right now. I pray that you would open doors for the gospel on campus. God, that you would make us ready and willing uh, to share your love with those around us. I thank you for all the wonderful people on this campus. Every single one of them matter to you. And if we would stop long enough, uh, we would say, see that they, they would matter to us as well. So I pray that we would take that time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. For two months after I graduated uh, from college, I lived in the Dominican Republic, kind of like our Megan Couch is right now. One of our students is in the Dominican for six months, uh, teaching at a, she's at a school. She'll be back with us next semester. But when I was there uh, uh, doing ministry, one of the things that they had me do, I, I preached uh, you know, tons of times when I was there through a translator. And one of the things that they tried to get me to do is learn Spanish. And I don't know Spanish. I mean, mm, poquito, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. know Americano, Americano. That's all I heard all summer. Because, you know, I was the only American they saw all summer. Um, but, and so the, the man of the house was trying to teach me Spanish. And so his name was Juan. And uh, he was a lawyer in the Dominican Republic, but also a pastor. He's bivocational. Wonderful man. And he's teaching me uh, Spanish, and he doesn't know any English whatsoever. And so he's trying to teach me, and we're having a hard time communicating, and I'm trying. And we're, so we start with the most, I took three years of Spanish in high school, which means nothing, right? And so it's like, uno, dos, tres, cuatro. He's like, no, 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 no. Uno, dos. I said, okay. Uno, dos. No, 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 no. Dos! And I, was, I still to this day have no idea what, you know, and we were going back and forth. So this went, dos, dos, you know, back and forth. The most intelligent man I met all summer, and we couldn't get on the same page. I mean, he was so frustrated. He was working with me. He couldn't even get me to learn the number two that summer. And I learned a lot of Spanish, a lot of which I used uh, later on in my honeymoon to try to impress my new wife and uh, I got so far talking to Catherine because I couldn't get any further and it was awkward 
Um, but ultimately, this is what a true friend does. This is what a true friend does. A true friend is a friend that fights for you. You know, Juan could have just been like, oh, this guy, this guy is too white to learn this language. I mean, he is too much from Oklahoma. He just can't do this. And he could have given up on me. But Juan, bless his heart, for two hours, was trying to teach me how to say the number two. And I'm not even sure I still know. Right? And when you back down a friend, they step up. And all of us, when we're struggling, we're going through a difficult time, our knee-jerk reaction is to back down, to back away. And a good friend that fights for us will step right up there in our face and say, nah, 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 not happening today, not happening today. That's what a good friend does. We have all looked for close, longed for close relationships, and it isn't because we are selfish. I don't think any of us are selfish in that way that we're like, no, I'd really like a close friend. That is not being selfish. That is being human. So if you have ever felt that way, that is completely uh, something God has placed inside of you and completely normal for human beings to feel. We've all felt forgotten. And we need friends to fight for us when we need them most. So who do you have tonight? Who are your friends that fight for you? Who are your friends that fight for you? Jesus had his squad of trusted friends. And so, so should you. And so I'm going to ask uh, Riley. She's going to read for us tonight throughout the time. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, if you want to look on the app or if you've got a print Bible or whatever you've got. And uh, she's going to read it for us. This is uh, 1 Samuel 18, 1. After David had finished talking to Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There he was in immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Okay, so immediately we see that the Hebrew here for uh, bonded or tied, it can mean tied lives or bonded souls. Okay, so uh, as soon as they met each other, they were tied and bonded. And, and it's so unique. And there's, it's used 44 times in the Old Testament. This is the only time it's used in reference to friendship. If you look at all the different times this Hebrew word is used. Uh, 44 different times, and it means tied or bonded. And so I've got these two nasty ropes that Alex found in his car, right? And the, the crazy thing about these ropes is that they are individual from each other after we cut it in two, right? And, and, and the Hebrew is so good, and it's almost as though it's not just tying the ropes together, but it would be like if we tied them together and then dumped a bunch of cement on the knot, or a bunch of super glue, or a bunch of the cookie batter uh, from Alex and I trying to make cookies earlier today at the campus house. That was an interesting thing for the bake sale tomorrow. So here we go. Tied together. Oh! That's bad. Zach, Tyler's together. <laughs> Tyler's together. He can pay attention that way. What? Oh, no. No, it's good for you. Tie that together. I can't do it. He's my friend. He's helping me out. Our culture really has a hard time with this passage in particular. And I think the reason we have such a hard time with it is because we have a hard time if two men 
Their souls, their lives are tied together. Immediately, we don't think, well, that's completely normal. We would immediately say, that is abnormal. Let me give you an example. Two guys in my Bible college Bible study this summer in Pendleton. How you doing? Zach, is it strong? All right, let's test it. Now that is legit. Thank you. That's a lot. Really? You went to Boy Scouts? Oh. That's great. Maybe we can give that to Alex as his parting gift. Um, but uh, So these two guys in my college Bible study this summer, they go to IU in Bloomington, and they're out to eat. It's Dylan and Bobby and Bobby's girlfriend, Sarah, and they're hanging out at Taco Bell, right? And they're hanging out, and all of a sudden, Sarah has to go to the bathroom. And you know what they do, right? They feel awkward. Like, here's two guys at Taco Bell eating together, and so Dylan, you just have to know, moves to another table so that no one would think that they were there together. You know, they would think something weird about the two. And that's how, that's how weird that we look at this passage in a different way, but there is so much benefit from this kind of friendship, this kind of relationship, that they, they had their lives and their souls bonded and tied together. And I love this the C.S. Lewis quote. I'm going to uh, throw it up for us, uh, Alex. I love it. It, it. it shows, like, it's in the Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. It's a short book, but it's such a good book. But he has a whole chapter on friendship. And this explains it well between a romantic love and a friendship love. The friends will be doing something together, but something more inward, less widely shared and less easily defined, still hunters, but of something of, of immaterial quarry, still collaborating, but in, but in some work, the world does not, or not yet, take account of, still traveling companions, but on a different kind of journey. Hence, we picture lovers face to face but friends, side by side, their eyes look ahead. By the way, this is why you want to marry your best friend, because you get both, right? That's what I did. I, rec I highly recommend that thing. All right. So Jonathan and David's friendship was an unexpected one, and it was. Uh, and most friendships are unexpected. Most of the people that you're really close friends to, you would not have expected to be as close to them as you are. And that's just how God works. In my life, he has done this over and over and over again. I have one friend who lives, uh, you know, has to rent a broken down house in the uh, other side of Anderson in this town called Chesterfield. And he, when I first met him, he was living in this trailer park down the road from the church. Uh, you know, he doesn't have very many teeth. He's just, he's a great guy, though. And he and I became very, very good friends. And uh, he ended up coming to Jesus. I, I got the privilege of baptizing, and we're close. Like, if I have a hard, I'm going through a hard time, I call him. His name's Randall. Great guy. And then I've got another friend who lives at, at Geist in a house that, if he sold it, he could buy Randall, like, you know, I don't know how many homes. Um, but I love it. I love it. Here's a former NFL football player. So I got him and Randall, and then I've got my 81-year-old mentor elder, uh, Carl, who brings us tomatoes all the time. I've got this 86-year-old woman, Elzina, uh, who her and I read books together and, and you know hang out. She makes pie, great pie. I've got, um, <laughs> I could go on and on. My, my roommate in college, uh, we have nothing in common whatsoever other than our, our love for Jesus and our love for each other. 
and I would not have made it through my college experience without him. Uh, one, his brother died uh, while we were in, in, in college, his, one of his younger brothers, and I just remember crying with him one night as we went through that difficult time together. I, we just think about all these different people that God has placed in our lives on purpose, and he ties our souls together. My best friend, other than Samantha, is a guy named CJ, is another minister. He lifts weights all the time. You can tell that I don't, right? Uh, he, you know, runs all the time. I don't. Uh, he went to IU. I went to a, a very pri private, uh, conservative Bible college, right? We have nothing in common, but we have everything in common because God has tied our souls, our lives together. We can be better husbands, better fathers, the whole thing. But in all of this, you don't, it's almost like it's almost out of your control, like the people that you get tied to. Some of the people you're like, why am I tied to this person? I thought that way for, with Randall for a long time. I was like, God, what am I doing? I don't even know how to talk to this guy. And yet God knew that I needed him as a friend. And in all of this, God fights for us before we do the fighting for each other. He does the initial work. He sets everything up. Many of you realize this, but the, the people that you became friends with the first two weeks of your college experience, they're probably going to be your friends for the rest of your college experience. That's just kind of how it works. God does that. And so tied lives, bond, and souls. Let's read the next one. 1 Samuel 18, 3 through 4. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So, I mean, Dylan and Bobby would have went to the other end of the store if this would have happened, right? But here we see... Jonathan gave David five things. He gave him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And you're like, what? Um, these are all things that would make Jonathan like look like he was the heir of the throne to become king. And who was anointed as king of Israel uh, five years before this? David. Who is the rightful heir to the throne to be next king? the next king. Jonathan. Jonathan is taking everything that he has that would signify him as being the, the rightful heir to the throne, and he gives it to David as a sacrifice. These were all items that were reserved for royalty. And so humility and sacrifices, sacrifice are staples in any friendship. And I want Riley to read this, this passage. It's so important in friendship when we read this. Romans 15, 1-3. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Every time I read that, when I'm reading my Bible, like by myself, I think, live not just to please themselves. Isn't that so convicting? Because, I mean, that's, that's what we do most of the time. We are living to please ourselves, and that's kind of what we're looking for sometimes in a friend. And Jonathan had every right to keep these items. And, and this might be our biggest problem in friendship. It's a change from get to give. And the ultimate example, of course, is he gives at the end, Paul does. He says, 
Your example is Jesus. Jesus did not leave, live to please himself, and he was God. He was God. Um, so, let's read. so, so far, our friends that fight for us, we have tied lives, bonded souls. Uh, friends that fight for us are self-sacrificing. And the next one is our friends seek to save. So let's read uh, 1 Samuel 20, uh, 1 through 4. David now fled from Naath and Ramoth and found Jonathan. What have I done? He exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something from us for me. This just isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. He, so he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan, why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I'm only a step away from death. I swear by the Lord in your own soul. Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. So you might be wondering, why in the world does David not just like go straight up and like kill him? I mean, that's pretty easy. I mean, he has killed, he, he just killed a nine-foot-nine man. Could he not just go ahead and just, like, stab him? Whoop, over, right? Uh, not going to be killing me. He tried to kill him four different times. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. That's when you know someone is not your friend. <laughs> just so you know, someone on campus is trying to spear you. They are not your friend. And why in the world is he fearful? Here's why he's fearful. And we're going to learn about this later in our study of David's life. He believes that you were not supposed to harm the Lord's anointed. So since you're not supposed to harm the Lord's anointed, he is not going to touch a hair on Saul's head. He's going to get, uh, Saul's going to be taken to number two in a cave later on. He's going to have the perfect opportunity to kill him, and he doesn't. And so and that's just free tonight. Um, that's later. <laughs> But David didn't want to leave. David didn't want to leave. It meant, if he was going to leave, it meant that he was going to be abandoning the two most significant people in his life. Jonathan and, remember when he killed Goliath, he got a tax exemption, which is great, and a wife, which is also great. Michael became his wife, and she, she was very important. She was the wife of his youth. And Jonathan was going to save David from his father. And this reminds me of Moses, Aaron, and a guy named Hur, which is a great name, H-U-R. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur are in this battle. It's in Exodus chapter 17, and you're, you can read it. And they're fighting the Amalekites. And, you know, as long as Moses has his arms up, they're winning the battle. And it, he has, you know, try to hold your arms up until the battle's over. You know, it's like, uh, you know. <laughs> Even, even for someone that has more muscles than I do, right? And his arms are getting tired. He's starting to lower them. And so Aaron and her, they give him a rock to sit on, and they each hold, they each hold his arms to keep his arms elevated and up so that they can win the victory. And you are going to need people to hold up your arms when you're too tired on your own to hold them up. You need someone to save you. You need someone to lift your arms up. And... And another side of this is all the people around you that you see, all the thousands of people, literally, you see every day that are not, have not yet said yes to Jesus in this campus. If you believe what the Bible says, um, there is an eternal destiny for them that is not good, right? And we who are saved who have been covered by the blood of Jesus, that is the only way that we're going to heaven. 
That's the only way we're going to be with him for all of eternity. And there's so many people that aren't going to make it. And a lot of times, we don't really care because we don't know them. Right? Or we're, we just don't want to think about it. That's how we are even the thing that happened last week. Just don't want to think about it because it makes you sad. Or it gets you down. And instead of letting it get you down, let it motivate you to reach out. In Isaiah chapter 16, verse 9, he says that he will drench them with his tears. Is that how you feel about the lost that need to be saved? Paul said in Romans 9, he said, I wish that I was cut off from Christ so that they may know him. Man. And I, I, just, I read this book um, about, actually about Islam, actually. Uh, Nabil Qureshi wrote the book, and he is a former uh, Muslim that became a Christian. Now, when I was reading this book, uh, I was just blown away. And this guy is like, they met, met he, uh, he became a Christian when he was in medical school. He actually, this is cool, those of you who are biology majors, in, in the book, he talks about subatomic particles proving the, the Trinity. I mean, it's really cool. Because uh, there's a subatomic particle that's three and one, even though it's one, it's three. It's just, I don't even remember the name of it because I didn't study biology, but those of you who did, you can figure that out. Uh, but Nabil, when he was in college, he had a friend uh, who really spent a lot of time, his name was David, David Wood, and uh, recently, Nabil, after he became a Christian, he, went, he started working for Ravi Zacharias, like proving it, like basically reaching out to those who are uh, Islamic and like sharing his faith in Jesus with them. And he did this. He married a beautiful young lady, and they had a kid. And he's a year younger than me. And this past year, he got stomach cancer and, like, last week passed away. Now, check this picture out. David Wood posted this on Twitter. Here's a photo of Nabil and me at his baptism. For the longest time, he didn't want to get baptized because if his parents found out that he had been baptized... That's when he would be cut off from his family. It was like the signifying mark that he had actually followed through with his faith. Guess when they met? In college. In college. That's when he reached them. It didn't happen overnight. They still, they were on a speech team together, and they were like traveling, and they were roommates. And Nabil looked over and he was reading his Bible. I mean, it's all laid out in this book. It's uh, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus' name of the book. It's a great book. And uh, he loved him enough to talk through all these intellectual arguments with this guy. And it was just so wonderful. And I think that's what it means to seek to save. The same thing that Jonathan did for David. David Wood, he, he had to really struggle because he was conflicted because he wanted to be able to accept Christ, but he didn't want to force him to do it. Right? But he wanted to lead him there. He wanted to see him take that step of faith. That's what a, a friend that fights for us seeks to save. Last one. Friend always speaks truth over us. Uh, read this one, Riley. Uh, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 20. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan loved David. One of the greatest ways that a friend can fight for us is to speak truth over us. And Jonathan did this for David. May the Lord destroy your enemies. We're going to look at this at the end of David's life. But God, like, extended the, the 
the geographical territory of uh, Israel an incredible amount during his lifetime. He, did, he almost did all these things that he's saying here. Um, they reaffirmed their vow of friendship and would protect, um, and later uh, David is going to protect Mephibosheth for this very reason. Um, when we refuse to speak truth over people, um, those that we call friends, everything is left to be to subject to feeling and assumption, which causes division. If you don't speak truth over someone, they're going to make assumptions on how you feel. Why not just speak truth over them now? And I, let me give you an example. When I'm in eighth grade, I am not a good basketball player. I am bad. I'm tripping over lines. Okay, that's how bad I am. You can't do that, but I'm doing it anyway. So I'm so bad, and my eighth grade principal, or you know, the, the principal at my school, he came up to me, he goes, Andrew, I saw you play the other day. You're going to be a great basketball player someday. And I said, I am? You know, my little eighth grade tweener voice. And, and you know what I did? I actually believed him. I went home. I started shooting like three hours a day. I quit baseball. I hated baseball. I'm just shooting. They're practicing baseball. I'm shooting jumpers in the gym. It's like 100 degrees in there in Oklahoma. And my freshman year, there's only three freshmen that make the varsity, and I'm one of them. Sophomore year, I started. You know, my senior year, I was elected to the, like the, the coach's all-star team. We ended up getting second. We got second. So we didn't win all the but I think it all kind of stemmed from Rick McDaniel saying, you're going to be a great basketball player. He spoke truth over me when it wasn't even true at the time. He, but he saw it in me. He saw it in me. He wasn't even there. He saw it in me. You have people like that in your life? The last, time, the last Sunday when we were in Missouri before we moved to Indiana, 10 years ago, my mentor at the time, uh, Craig Stevens, he's up in front of the whole church. He goes, I just want to say goodbye to Andrew and Samantha. Andrew is a great connector. That is his gift. He never told me that. But in that moment, I was like, I am. That is my gift. That is what God has done. And like, I started redirecting all of my energies trying to connect people. And you'll even see that today. That's one of the things I love to do more than anything else. I love to connect people. They spoke truth over me. Right here in this room, all the Indiana campus ministries used to meet at IUPUI for two times a year to, to pray and touch base. A guy from Purdue Campus House, Rob Shrunk, what a great guy. He grabbed, like we're in a prayer time, they're praying over me. I haven't even decided to come here full time yet. He grabs me by the shoulders with two hands and starts praying hardcore over me in this room. And I'm getting chills. I'm like, God, what are you doing? Why does this guy grab me? And, and I knew that God was speaking that truth over me. Am I going to start believing all the truth? Or am I going gonna, gonna to shirk it off? That's what a good friend does. And my, what I want to I speak truth over you tonight. You will lead at least one of your friends to Jesus this school year. You will baptize them into Christ. I will see it happen. And I would be jumping up and down. I was telling one of you, I, I would never do another baptism as long as you guys would baptize your friends. Bring them to Jesus. Take their confession of faith. And then just keep doing it. Sin will no longer be your master. If you want to be serious about avoiding sin, uh, one of, a couple of us in Impact are starting to memorize scripture 
helping us to become more pure in our thought life and our action life. I pray that you would join us. We'll send you the scriptures. They're helping us so much. So four questions to ask yourself as we close out. To see if you're a good friend. Or just pretending to be a good friend. Do you have anyone whose life you are tied or bonded to? Life doesn't have to be harder than it already is. A life in isolation is harder than it already is. Life is already hard. Even if you had the best friends, your life is still going to be hard. Imagine how exponentially more hard it will be if you live in isolation. Galatians 6.2 says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Second, do you self-sacrifice often? As you're looking over the last month of your life, do you notice any sacrifices that you've made on behalf of your friends? I mean, even simple stuff, uh, like buying their lunch or, you know, if they're sick. I saw someone, one of you was sick, and another friend brought them soup or sour food or something. I mean, come on. That is a good friend. Three, are you concerned about the spiritual life of your friends? Do you shed tears for your lost friends? Is your gut wrenched? Four, do you speak truth over your friends? Or do you just affirm them in whatever behavior that they currently have? I know this is hard for some of us, um, but everyone is starved for it. Everyone is starved for friendship. Everyone. And it's easy to say, well, no one is there for me. Why should I be a friend to anybody else? I don't have anybody pouring into me. Right? I mean, I've said that before. I've, you know, many times said with my wife, and she said that before. And I'm praying, asking God to send her friends, and he did. But I, I just think that we've got to say, and stop saying, no one is there for me. We've got to sow, then reap. Sow, then reap. If no one is being there for you, you'll be there for someone else. And what do you know? When you get sick, they'll bring you food, maybe. <laughs> right? They'll pour into your life. They'll speak truth over you. They'll be with you through the, the thick and the thin. And I want to tell you that I'm, I'm past my time. I apologize, worship team. But I come from an awesome spiritual heritage. My grandpa was an elder in my home church. My dad was a current elder in that same small church in that same small town. Um, but it all started with my grandma, Betty Hodges. And she is with Jesus today. She died at 88. When she was in college. Uh, she did not attend church growing up. Neither did my grandpa Hodges. I mean, they were both unchurched and met at Oklahoma State University. Fell in love. And what do you know? She had a friend. that said, I've been going to the Church of Christ on Duck Street, right across the street from the softball field. I think you should go with me. I don't know, you know. She did. She ended up becoming a Christian, confessing Jesus as her Lord and Savior. She ended up getting baptized. She turned her life over to Jesus. Then her mom started going to church. Then her, my grandpa got married, and he was still an atheist, farmer. And what do you know? When my, my dad can remember my, my grandpa cussing, yelling, screaming, having his crazy temper. And then all the, you know, he starts, you know, she's slowly working on Right? Praying for him. Eating at him, you know? Praying for him. Working with him. And God changed his life. 
I mean, flipped his whole life around to where he loved Jesus as well. He's 94 years old, still lives on that 500-acre farm. So my grandma's friend was a friend who was ready to fight for her. And check out what happened. Her friend fought for her. Then she fought for my grandpa. Then my grandpa and grandma fought for my dad. And my dad fought for me. And I'm following Jesus and I'm fighting for you. See how that works? It's just one decision. So Jesus himself was a fighting friend. And he had three friends in a place just one and a half miles east of Jerusalem. In Bethany, just beyond the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was like his, his hangout spot, right, for prayer. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now Lazarus got sick and died. Okay? As Jesus is coming to him. And I want us to read what happened after he got to the tomb. After he got to the tomb and he saw that Lazarus was dead. Right, go ahead. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Read that. The next verse goes, Oh, they said, how he loved him. Not agape him, which is the way that God loves us, how he phileoed him. The friendship love. This is Jesus' friend. He's crying tears not just because he's God and he's supposed to. He's crying tears because he really did love Lazarus. His soul was tied so my last question before we sing this last song is, who, who will you fight for? I'm going to invite them up to sing the last song here. Who are you going to fight for? Nobody is fighting for you. It's time for you to start fighting for somebody else. If nobody's been texting you, it's time to start texting somebody else. God uh, convicts me about that all the time. Some of my best friends who I know love Jesus and love me are waiting for me to come out of my hole, right? And start loving them the way that God wants me to. So let's sing, let's stand as we sing this last song together and we'll be dismissed.